Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. My name is Matt Salis, and I am joined, as usual, with my co-host and lovely wife, Sherry Salis. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Matt. How are you doing today? Good. How about you? Well, I'm excited. Why are you excited? I hope you're excited, too. I'm excited about your new ebook that just came out. Ah, yes. uh, What's the name of your new ebook again? Um, he's sober now. What? It's a spouse's guide to alcoholism recovery. Excellent. Um, I'm really excited to for us to have worked together on this book and to have done it from your perspective. I feel like I spend a lot of time writing about our relationship and about alcoholism, and I do my best to do your side of the story justice. But I think it was great that we got a chance to write a book together and do it, again, from, from your point of view. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Um, you know, everybody's critical of their own work. And I feel like sometimes maybe my situation, you know, isn't applicable to a lot of other people's situations. But... Um, it just, there was a lot of differences between your recovery and my recovery, and I was a little bit slower on the uptake, and because I couldn't live inside your brain, and so it was just a lot of different, I think it just a lot of different um, aspects that people don't really think about, and from the spouse's point of view, that just because they're not drinking anymore, it doesn't mean everything's going to be really easy, and that that solves all the problems. Well, that's, you'd think we had prepared, which we didn't, um, but that's a great lead-in because that's what I want to talk about today. I, I want to talk about the different timing of recovery between the person that was the drinker and is getting sober and the person that they're married to because it's dramatic and it's important and it's not anything that you and I understood when we went through it. And so I'm glad that we both got to share it in the ebook, and I'm glad we're going to talk about it today. Um, before we get off the topic of he's sober, now what? A spouse's guide to alcoholism recovery. Um, I want to tell people, first of all, that the, don't let the title fool you. It is not gender specific in any way. Um, our story, our experience, um, hopefully would resonate with uh, people where the, the wife maybe is the alcoholic and the husband is the one who's dealing with the alcoholic's sobriety. And uh, again, also applicable and hopefully will resonate with same-sex couples. Um, that just title kind of clicked with us, and that's. But it's not the book itself is not at all gender specific. And then um, also just want to tell people where they can uh, where they can get a free download of the ebook uh, either through the Intoxicated Podcast website or through our Sober and Unashamed website. On Sober and Unashamed, there's a, it's got its own menu item to download the ebook. And in the Intoxicated podcast, uh, on this episode, this will be episode 23, we'll put a link directly to downloading the ebook. So anyone can pick up a copy, and again, it's free. And uh, we just want to share our experiences with the world. So let's, let's jump right in and talk about the, the lag time 
the difference between the pace with which the spouse of an alcoholic can recover versus the pace that the alcoholic themselves recover, recovers. And I don't know, it, I think it's a little bit of a confusing topic. So let's just use our life as an example. When, when it was time for me to get sober and I was committed to doing so and I was doing lots of reading and lots of research and I was learning about brain chemistry and I was reading memoirs of people who'd come before me like Caroline Knapp and Sarah Heppala, some really inspiring stories. I had all this work that I was doing and all this uh, forward motion and, and commitment in my head that this was it. I wasn't ever going to drink again. And that was great for me, but then I, then I turned to you and say, Hey, Sherry, it's, I'm really going to make it this time. I, I had had two pre- previous periods of six months of sobriety and one period of nine months of sobriety. And in all three of those cases and many other cases where I went shorter periods of time not drinking, I relapsed and took you by surprise at the end of that nine months when I said, Hey, Sherry, we need to talk. I mean, your heart just sank. I, I can imagine that that was crushing for you. Is that accurate? Yeah. And and some of the times, like, because you had tried quitting a lot of times or you had different rules, there becomes a defense mechanism that as um, a person that's closely related and closely involved, the alcoholic, they, of course, have heard it before. So there's a general... Uh, you know, feeling of, yeah, whatever. Um, And then when sometimes you would make it for longer periods of time and you would relapse because we were having issues and alcohol didn't solve everything. I remember one time telling you... the lack of alcohol. Yeah, the lack of alcohol. Like, I remember one time telling you, like, there's just a lot of other issues. There's a lot of other problems. It's just not alcohol. And, And for a long time, you refused to kind of understand and believe that. And even when you were reading... Sometimes you were reading when you were actively drinking mm-hmm. just to try to kind of get in the right set. I think it just... And in your mind, you were ready to quit a lot of those times. And then the time that you've quit and now have been sober for such a long time, like, I don't know what's in your head. I can't control it. So I'm very doubtful. Still? Very reluctant to believe it at the, you know, at the beginning and even up to like a year. So, like, my recovery couldn't happen, and I couldn't start thinking about it until there was a more, a lot more time and something more impactful happened that I knew you couldn't turn back. Well, I think that's a really good point. The momentum in recovery for a married couple is moving in opposite directions at the beginning. I needed to be positive about it. I needed to be excited about it. I needed to do all this work and commit everything I had toward permanent sobriety and promise myself that this time was going to be different and I was going to make it and it was important. I had to do all these positive things. And you, for self-preservation reasons and because you love your children... You had to do the opposite. You had to be skeptical. Maybe not hourly. I mean, I don't feel like you ever said, you're not going to make it. You, yeah. You're a loser. You can't do this. Nothing like that. I just had to be prepared to have the other other side 
happen again because it had happened before. Like I had to be prepared to hear you come to me one day and say, okay, I think I can handle drinking now. I'm going to give it another go. Right. And that preparation is, even if not outward skepticism, internal skepticism, you had to doubt me. You had to. I'm not saying that because I'm being critical of you. You didn't have a choice. Yeah. And that makes recovery for for me, that made recovery for me and that makes recovery in a general sense for the alcoholic really difficult because it's the time in your life you're facing. I was facing, let me just put it in my terms. I was facing the biggest challenge of my life. I knew it because I had failed so many times before. I mean, my overall relapse period, I would say, was 10 years. There were 10 years where I went from drinking sometimes, not drinking sometimes, drinking sometimes, not drinking sometimes. I was clearly over the line, and I was an alcoholic. I knew it. I was willing to admit it to you. Sometimes I was willing to admit it a little further than that, my parents maybe. Um, I was clearly over that line, but I was still fighting and trying to, like you mentioned earlier, the rules. I was trying to come up with rules to drinking. I'm only going to drink beer, not hard alcohol. I'm not going to drink during the weekdays. All the rules that we alcoholics try and, and fail to commit to. So I was trying to do that, or I had been through experiences of trying to do that, and I finally was just so positive I was going to make it, but the thing I most needed was your support and your encouragement and at the time when I didn't get that from you I thought you were selfish that that hurt me when you couldn't be enthusiastic about my recovery because I felt like it was the greatest gift I could give to my family was to quit drinking and you know you as the number one representative of my family weren't as excited about as I wanted you to be, weren't as encouraging as I wanted you to be, but you couldn't be. I know that now. Now I know you couldn't be, but at the time, I thought you were selfish. And what's really just, again, this is such a diabolical disease, and there's so many parts of it that are so counterintuitive. I thought you were selfish, and now, almost three years into recovery, I can look back on that period and realize how selfish I was being. But you needed support, and you needed enthusiasm for me. You needed me to be positive about it. Um, And I'm sure the few times in the beginning where you said you were going to quit, I probably had a lot more optimism. But like you said, it was over a 10-year period where you had tried to gain, you know, full-time sobriety, and it backfired and something didn't work out and you fell back into the pattern of drinking, I mean, I think that, yeah, if it had been, if you had more positivity and more encouragement and enthusiasm and just, I'm also not very verbal, um, so I wasn't saying, hey, great job not drinking today. Maybe that's a really cheesy thing to say that I would say, but, or I noticed this about, you know, like me giving more verbal accolades, it could have helped it along, but at this point, I think most people that are in a relationship with an alcoholic, they're already just kind of exhausted and wore out, and they just don't have anything more to give, because they're just like, all right, prove it to me, you know, and maybe some therapy would have helped or something, but... But you're right about, I mean, you were exhausted and worn out, but why were you exhausted and worn out? You were exhausted and worn out because I drank heavily for 25 years. 
I mean, I crushed your soul. I, I took this beautiful, you know, budding love romance thing and slowly, unintentionally, but slowly destroyed it and turned so many parts of our relationship sour. So, right. And I was our, and at that point, like during that 10 year, like I had become very anxious about like, and you know, cause I knew I could not control situations. So whenever there was supposed to be fun events and I knew that alcohol would be involved, whether you were in a moment of like trying to have be sober or, you know, I, I couldn't control what you were doing. So I was already kind of dealing with my own set of anxiety and issues and desire for stability and, and, and it was probably very selfish and protective of myself and my kids, or our kids. Like, I was just kind of protecting our side of it, and you needed to do the work. And also, I, you know, maybe it was sort of selfish. Like, listen, you've got to do the work. I can't do this for you. I yeah. can't give you the things that I don't have to offer. Yeah. Because I didn't have those to give to you because maybe I didn't feel a lot of that, too. Like, I didn't feel very supportive because I wasn't supportive because you'd failed before. Or you needed positive encouragement when maybe there were times in my life and it was resentful that I needed positivity and I needed your encouragement and it wasn't there. Yeah, I, th- I think part of the reason that you being, or you not being able to be as positive or encouraging as I was hoping for Part of that is there. I think there are different levels of denial. I think in in an alcoholic marriage, both spouses have to keep the secret because we have to protect the secret from outsiders, which is really unfortunate. But part of protecting the secret for me was I at times I didn't think it was as bad as it was. And I think you were always more realistic about that. So, so when I decide to get sober and I think, oh, I really need Sherry's support. I need her to encourage me. I didn't realize how much damage I had done to you and to the marriage and the romantic relationship. I didn't, I just didn't. I, I thought sobriety will fix everything. If she'll just help me with sobriety, everything's going to be fine. Well, that's nothing. Like, how does a person help someone with sobriety? I mean... You know, like, sometimes you kind of, I kind of feel like I didn't even know what to do, too. You know, that's part of it. Because I had been so locked into this one way of living for so long, there was nobody I could turn to, nobody I could talk to. I mean, because at this point, we weren't really, like, talking about it to people, and there was no, we were not talking about therapy. It was very hush-hush, because it keeps a secret, so... I don't even know how to begin to get out of my own head and my own protectiveness and my own resentment to, like, help you. I just wish I had understood all of that when we were going through it the way I understand it now because my ignorance hindered both of us. My ignorance made it so that I was expecting things from you that you couldn't give me as far as support and encouragement I thought of you as selfish because 
you were at time. I mean, you were at times cold um, because you anticipated, you know, uh, something's around the corner that's going to make him drink. I can't think of any specific examples, but I know there were times when you thought, "Well, here we go. Um, he'll he'll come to me any day now and tell me his new plan for for drinking and and having new a new set of rules." And so as you anticipated that, I could sense that you were not positive about what was going on, and I thought you were selfish. And I just think it's amazingly ironic now, now that I know what I know, that that I at any point thought you were the one that was selfish and couldn't see what is just so glaringly clear, that alcoholism is such a selfish, selfish thing. Now... It's a disease, and I contract a disease. I get that. I, I don't spend all day blaming myself, and I'm not filled with shame anymore. And my brain reacted the, the way it's supposed to react when it's spent so much time with an addictive substance like alcohol. So, I, But without blaming myself, I can still admit that the disease I contracted and the behavior that resulted from that disease is just ridiculously selfish. And so here I was being super selfish, not only when I was drinking, but when I was trying to get sober and I was expecting so much from you. And thinking you were selfish was like the ultimate act of selfishness for me. I needed to give you room to recover. And... I think the biggest takeaway that we can share with people that come after us trying to go down this path is that the drinker has to be positive and running 100 miles an hour towards sobriety and the spouse has to keep the, the walls of self-protection up and not be trusting at first. Trust is earned and there's no... Uh, emotional connection that is as destroyed in alcoholism as trust is and so by definition you had to not trust me it was the best thing you could do for yourself and our kids and it was anything but selfish it was self-protective it it had to happen does that make sense yeah yeah i i definitely I would have never looked at it from the viewpoint of you thought I was selfish. Um, I would have looked at it, you thought I was being defensive, protective. I'm sure that selfish falls under those umbrellas. I never looked at it, like I said, from like a selfish standpoint. I looked at it like my selfishness was all about the kids. Yeah. So if I was that's selfish, always been your so I what if I if I was behaving selfishly, it was for selfless reasons. Yeah. So I would say selfless and necessary. Whether whether it was protecting yourself or protecting the kids, it was one hundred percent necessary. Right, and I mean, you know, to kind of talk about our relationship, like I felt like, you know, I was number two in your love because alcohol took first place. And precedence. So I kind of learned to be like, well, more defensive and, and maybe more selfish and feeling like, well, you know, I've played second fiddle for so many years to it. Why should I be there to support you when mm-hmm. 
when I have needed you in, in different circumstances. And that's not to say that you were not a great father and a great provider and a great husband and you were not, you know, missing work. And But there were times that I just felt like you had to make sure that your needs for alcohol were taken care of if we were on a family outing or something like restaurants could needed to have like a beer to serve and just silly things like that and I'm like oh that's so selfish but you know it's just hard to like give something that I'm supposed to be supportive of you when I've been second place for so long yeah and just because your number one place needed to be filled then I'm supposed to step in and and be your support system yeah, I mean... It was resentment is where that comes from. Well, and that's... I think that's the next thing we need to talk about because this process of healing... Okay, I was selfish thinking you were selfish at the beginning. I'm recovering as fast as I can and you need to take it slow. But still, we had to get to the same place eventually and it took a long time. I mean, it's... We're almost at three years and it's st- we're still not 100% there. Um, but we're making great progress now. And I think it's due in large part to the fact that we took the time to address the resentments. One of the things that happened in this process for you and I is as we were going along, when I was still drinking, I would drink too much. We would have an argument. Sometimes I would blame the argument on you and I would go all the way, you know, weeks and weeks blaming the argument on you for sure. But oftentimes what would happen is we would have an argument and within a day or two or three days of the argument, I would come around and realize that I was irrational and unreasonable when I was drinking and that the argument was my fault and I would apologize. And once I had done that, I brushed that memory out of my brain and said it was a mistake and I apologized and now we move on and because I made that apology still during a period of active alcoholism you had to think yeah great whatever he's sorry now but he's still drinking so it's just going to happen again yeah and also it's because I'm a pessimistic person by nature and I'm you know I hold grudges I forget what you wrote in a Facebook post one time and my friend from high school was like, oh my gosh, that is so you. I love it and I miss you every day. <laughs> but I, I, I have a quick temper and a long memory and I hold grudges. So it was very hard for me to forget a lot of those things because they generated so many emotions that sometimes our arguments would just be kind of repeated about the same crap over and over. So I just felt like it was a wound getting open and open. And I just got tired of the sorries and I didn't believe any of the apologies. I thought, why are you even apologizing? Do not waste your time. Do not waste your breath. Because, because it's going to happen. It's going to yeah. happen again. And it's going to be maybe not exactly, but it's going to be so similar and so parallel to what you're apologizing for now that even today in when the kids like give those half-hearted sorries, I'm like, you're not going to be sorry until it's really affecting you and like towards the end of your drinking um like when you would apologize i could see how in pain you were and how you didn't want to do that anymore so then i started to leave your apologies because there was just a difference 
and it had been after you know several really good attempts and you were reading and you could and I could see you were hurting but I still held on to the resentment and the anger and the frustration about things that happened and I couldn't quite get over those nearly as easy because I remember like you would apologize like I apologize for that it should be done and over with like you acted like an apology was a an excuse never to talk about it again well I needed to have conversation and closure about it because the apology didn't mean anything at the time and the the apology also didn't give it as a reason not to discuss it especially in this very intimate relationship that we had we're you know four kids a business away from our family kept the secret about drinking for such a long time there was nobody else to share the pain with except for you and I so we went along in sobriety and recovery for some period of time with me thinking oh all those things that I did when I was drinking I've already apologized for those I mean I was actually I remember I was actually proud of myself because even though I was an asshole and I had made all these mistakes, I knew that at least for the most part, I had apologized for those mistakes as we had gone along. I didn't just build up a laundry list of awfulness. And then once I was finally sober, I needed to go through those things. I thought I apologized as we went along, not understanding what I understand now that those apologies meant nothing to you. And rightly so meant nothing to you because you just knew I was going to do it again. And so, I don't even, maybe it was around a year into my sobriety that we started to, to really sit down and talk about the specific, not just, not just we, we started a few years ago at the recommendation of a guy that I played soccer with, having a weekly meeting where we would sit and with no, try, attempted no distractions, um, talk about our relationship and what's going on and the past week for instance anything that you might have said that might have upset me anything I might have said that might have upset you and try to keep from building continual resentments we, we started that years ago but maybe it was about a year into our sobriety when we said let's go back and look at all the things that happened when I was drinking now, certainly there were lots of minor things that we couldn't possibly have remembered the details. Certainly you remember the details way better than I did. And that's not a shot. That is, that's just part of this. When I apologized and was ready to move on in the moment, why would I bother to remember that? When you heard the apology and it didn't help in any way, that wound was not in any way treated. It stayed with you. So you had all these memories I only had a portion of the same memories and we just dug back in and went through them again and talked about what happened, talked about who said what to who and at what volume and at what time, you know, was this another one that was the middle of the night and we argued all night and and gave me another opportunity to apologize. It didn't that didn't negatively impact me at all. It was it was hard to go through those times and those conversations because of the shame that was associated with my behavior it made me feel bad about myself but it it wasn't it wasn't news to me that this thing had happened or it wasn't hard for me to to feel this guilt that I already knew was assigned to me and 
I'm curious how it made you feel when we would go through these things and you would get to hear me apologize when I had a year of sobriety under my belt and it looked like there was at least a chance that I was going to make it and not drink again. Well, as you're talking about it, again, it made me realize it kind of sounds like the making amends from the, you know, the big book. Sure. And I feel like with the intimate relationship we had, we... I definitely needed to go back and visit, but it wasn't, I just wanted you to understand how I felt, and I feel like you were at a better place to understand that, so that's why I feel like we had to go back and revisit, and maybe maybe there was more emotion and, and feelings and understanding how that was hurtful that we were able to work through, rather than just say, I'm sorry that this happened, so maybe... Maybe it was because we were able to do it in a more conscientious state, removed from the alcohol, removed from the shame a little more, and that it was more impactful because I felt like you were willing to listen and understand That's how it affected the relationship in whole. That's very interesting to me. So the actual apology a year or two years or however long it was later was less a part of it for you than just knowing and seeing it in my eyes that I understood the pain that you suffered. Maybe because I felt like you were far enough along in your recovery that you weren't as selfish and hurting maybe at points earlier where I felt like if you had apologized, when you apologized earlier and you were still actively drinking and I knew we'd have an argument again, I thought you'll never understand You'll never understand the hurt and pain and anxiety that this is causing me. So why bother acting like you can give an apology when you can't fully grasp what you're apologizing for? Whereas you being removed from it and you being able to listen and understand my feelings because you had been a little bit more enlightened in education about alcoholism and how it affects the brain and I know you used to get very mad when I would say things like, you just love alcohol more than you love your family and you love us. And I know that's a mean, terrible thing to say, but that really was, it had such a power over you that that's how I felt, that it was just your first love. So maybe the lag time was good because it gave me an opportunity to understand that you weren't so locked into your own feelings and you could comprehend how it affected others. Well, so there's a couple things in what you just said. First of all, I can look back now and say, yes, I prioritized. I don't know if I can use the word love. I guess, I mean, you're right. You're right. From the outside, it looked like there was a... I can definitely admit to the fact that I prioritized alcohol over you and the kids often in many different ways. In time that I spent in the emotional capacity I had to give, all of it. I prioritized alcohol over you. That's that's very true. That is a was, it isn't now, but it was a really hard thing to admit. And certainly, I mean, I think it's important for people to understand, and anyone who's going through it knows this, the, the barbs and the jabs and the the aggressiveness is not a one-way street in alcoholism 
you're a very strong, independent woman, Sherry, and you can only take so much before you're going to fire back. And so a lot of the things that were said between us, a lot of the things, most of the things that were awful and evil were coming out of my mouth. But you had learned to return fire pretty good. Yeah, because I, like I said, I have a short temper and I certainly stand up for myself. Yeah, there, there are some parts of it that are traits specific to you, but... I also think it's just the natural way you react yeah. when you you're under attack so like that. Much. Yeah. Of, yeah. So, so and I think that's part of it. The 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 fact that that um, I prioritized alcohol over you for sure is a big part of um, you know something I had to come to grips with, and it was a great counterattack that you could make whenever you wanted to make it because it did hurt, and it ultimately was true, and I did not want to admit it back then. Yeah, and it was a really easy thing because I could see that it would hurt you because you you prided yourself in your devotion to your family and your kids and like you made a career change so you could be at home with us instead of traveling for work. So, you know, and I could be mean and angry and nasty when I got my defenses up and I got hurt. Like that was an easy thing to go to. Yeah. But so going through the resentments, going back over them and talking about them again, I've thought all along that it was important so that you could hear my apology. And and that's part of it for sure. You could hear my apology in long-term sobriety. But even more so, it was so you could see that I understood. Yeah, because I feel like there were definitely times when... You- like we tried to do these things earlier. I could just I could just see in your face and your eyes like you just didn't fully understand the impact it had because you were working on your sobriety and you were working through this or maybe you weren't fully there to understand the greater impact. Yeah. Because you like you were still just kind of clouded maybe with just trying to make it through one day or the weekend or your triggers and things like that. So when we talked about it later into your recovery, you were more engaged. I mean, that was part of it too. Your brain had to get into a right spot where you could be able to to understand and accept it and empathize versus just listening and giving an apology. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it it just reinforces the notion that at the beginning of my sobriety I had to do everything I could go as fast as I could in recovery and you couldn't and that's there's nothing selfish about that that's just how it works and that's not anything that you and I read anywhere and I read a ton I mean I read a ton of stuff about addiction and recovery and nowhere was it ever explained to me that the spouse has to recover at a different pace, much more slowly for self-preservation reasons and because I needed to come along with you and understand your pain before we could move past the pain. So I hope that that's some consolation to some of our listeners that they understand that it's very counterintuitive. If you feel like your spouse is selfish, you're probably the one that's being selfish. If you're the one that's the drinker that's trying to get sober um and that just like with everything else just like it takes time for the cravings to pass and it takes times for the neurotransmitters to regenerate 
It takes time to be able to socialize in an alcoholic setting without drinking and feel good about yourself. All these things take time. And I don't mean a few minutes and I don't mean a few days. I mean a year plus. It takes a long time for all this stuff. This is just another one that we can add to the list. Recovering the recovery process in the relationship and the recovery process, individual recovery for the spouse of an alcoholic, takes a long time. And it's not at the pace that anyone would like, and it's not at the pace of the alcoholic themselves. Well, you also have to factor in how much damage was done, how long were the this was the couple together. You know, like there's just a lot of things that factor in and personality. So everyone goes at their own pace. And if you can be a partner that's going right along with your spouse in their recovery as fast as they are, well, then that's great for them. But I know I'm just a little more hesitant and a slow learner. And I think you're being too critical of yourself. I think it's unnatural to go at the same pace as the alcoholic for all the reasons we identified. Yeah. I, I don't think it's possible. I know when you look back on our, our struggles with alcoholism, you like to take some of the blame on yourself more of the blame, way more of the blame than you should. I think that's natural. We're always, I mean, we're all humans are just to some degree self-centered, and I don't mean that in an arrogant, positive way. I mean, we're self-centered in that we think about our own accolades, but we also think about our own responsibilities and the things that have happened in our lives. And I think you t- try to take way more responsibility for what happened than you should. And so I, I don't think it's just that you were slow because you recovered at a different pace. I think it was necessary. Let me ask you, and I don't want to put you on the spot because this is hard to pinpoint, I suppose, but we all agree that trust is just ridiculously fundamental and foundational for any kind of relationship that grows into love. And because I had so demolished the trust in our relationship... As we were in the process of recovery, we dealt with the resentments. We had these weekly talks. We sat and talked with the kids at one point and and made sure we covered anything that might be bothering them. We went through all these, these different steps in the process. But until we had started to really build trust between us, and I don't mean financial trust or infidelity trust. I never cheated on you. You never feared that. You never worried that I was going to run the bank account dry. Nothing like that. But this emotional trust between us until we rebuilt that we were on thin ice for a long time any little setback could send us reeling and we would be back to arguing and the argument would last certainly all day and all night but oftentimes days and and by the end we couldn't even remember what we were arguing about and again it was because i believe that the trust was gone between us when did you start to feel trust for me again Emotional trust, like like I wasn't going to let you down, that kind of stuff. Like when I felt like I knew that I could trust you, that you were not going to go back to drinking. So those two were tied together. Yeah, that's really the only thing that I lacked trust with you. Like that emotional trust going back to drinking. So when did you start to think I was going to not drink again? Well... So it was about a year 
after you quit drinking that then you sent out an email. So when was I came right? out, yeah, it was almost exactly a year. So it was almost exactly a year. Um, and I would say I was, I was very worried about the response that you were going to get. I, you know, and I know that we've talked about, you've talked about this. You had positive ex- responses like, you know, not, like, not like, oh, you're not an alcoholic. Don't stop drinking. Or, gosh, yeah, you better stop drinking. You just had more people open really up supportive. to you. Yeah, supportive and open up to you and yeah. say, yeah, I've encountered this with myself or my child or my spouse or ex-spouse or, you know, right. dad. That, that was the surprising part. The so number of people was, that resonated with my story, that surprised me. I knew there were a lot of alcoholics, but I didn't know yeah, I, everybody has a story, whether right. it's them or... Like you were saying, a family member. I was thinking it was like maybe a couple months after that because I felt like the positive support that you had just encouraged you to keep going more and more and more. And your whole point was if I out myself and you've always, we'd always been closed up about this and had hardly talked at all to anybody outside of close family members. Um, I thought maybe at some point the pressure, if it was a, a different kind of response, would cave and you would secretly drink. So I would say it was a few months after that. So the, the coming out itself scared you. It could have could have backfired. Yeah, because I could have. Yeah, I mean, I was really uncertain on what the response was, and I thought if you just got enough few people that knew you very well saying, "Oh, Matt, you're fine. You just abuse alcohol. You don't. You hmm. know, you're not an alcoholic." Because remember that one book we read that talked about the difference between an alcoholic and and a, a person who uses and abuses alcohol. There was this book that we read that was that talked about that. Um, I don't so, remember what specific book, but yeah, yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I just I was fretful of that because you were also so worried, and you know, like you would say things like, "Oh, one drink would take all this pain away, yeah. all this anxiety away. One drink it would do that. It would just always scare me. It'd be like the one drink, it would just take it all away. Everything would be better after one drink." So it was a couple months after that. Because I felt like the support you were getting from outside of the relationship was feeding what you needed. So maybe outing yourself was giving you what you were missing in me for the positivity and the support because of my slower recovery. And it was just encouraging you that you're not crazy. You're not a bad person. You're not, you know, as much as you were reading, it was still nice to have people reach out to you. That were people in our already, lives. People you already know, yeah. Yeah, people that were in our lives. So, well, so that's that's very true. It coming out like that, you know. I've always known that that solidified my recovery. I never really. I did expect some a lot more negative reaction than what I actually received. I received no negative, and I re- expected some. It never occurred to me though that the negativity could be such that it would cause me to drink again like the fear that that instilled in you. Um, That's interesting. But so the fact that after that first wave passed, that's when you started to trust that I was going to make it. Yeah. And then it was time to roll up our sleeves and see if we could make it, which is an entirely different subject and even more challenging than sobriety. And I I never imagined that when I started when I started to stop drinking. When I quit drinking, I never imagined that there would be anything. I mean, I knew that I could face some 
horrible trauma or tragedy in the family that would be worse than what I was going through. I was never so close-minded as to think alcoholism is the worst thing that can ever happen to a human being. I knew that other things could happen that would be worse. Oh, yeah. But I had hoped that this would be the worst thing I would ever face. And little did I know the worst thing I was going to face, the hardest challenge I was going to face was just waiting after I proved my long-term sobriety, permanent sobriety, that then it would be time to work on recovering the relationship and how hard that would be. Um, so, and that brings us back around. That's what the, the ebook is about. It's about the different stages to recovering a marriage because I've, I've researched this, Sherry. I don't know if I've ever actually shared with you, but I've spent a lot of time on the internet trying to find statistics about divorce rates. You can find lots of statistics about general divorce rates, and then you can find lots of statistics about divorce rates where drugs or alcohol are involved. But I can I cannot find a subset that's ever been studied where they say, this is the divorce rate when the marriage survives alcoholism and then they try to go through recovery, how many of those relationships are ended. And I think just from our friends that we know and personal stories that we've read, There's a I, lot think of that's, people that get I think that rate is... I don't know. I'm starting to, in my brain, feel like it's more than 80% of people who are trying to go through alcoholism recovery Yeah, because that ends in divorce. Like you've said this, it pulls back the curtain to other issues and other problems that you just ignored yeah. for a long time because alcoholism was the or drug addiction was the main priority. So doing the hard work is very hard. I don't think divorce is hard by any means. But you have... You don't think it's easy by any means. Or yeah, I mean, it's not easy by any means. It's a very hard and tricky situation to go through, whether you have kids or not. I mean, it's not something that you really want to do in a mindset that you want to say, that's my easy answer. I think the work involved and sticking... I mean, sticking around somebody that you're not real happy with at the moment, you know, and they're sober and you're still unhappy. Like that's a really hard concept. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, just toughen it out. That's really super hard too. So I mean, yeah. we've had heard lots of stories. Yeah. Divorce and ending. It's difficult. It's way super difficult. So here we were, I was just at the beginning of getting sober and committed to doing so. And, I remember, I specifically remember thinking, whew, my marriage survived. I'm going to be sober now and everything's going to be fine. And she didn't divorce me. Whew, made it. And little did I know that the hardest part was still yet to come. But it can be done. You got to deal with those resentments. You got to be patient. You got to deal with the lag time between the alcoholic's recovery and the codependent's recovery. You've got to just dismiss those thoughts of selfishness that, that you feel like your partner is being selfish and you've got to let that trust build. And I, what I like to do whenever I'm upset about how long I realize something's going to take or when, when I'm experiencing how long something is taking is to think about that 25 years that I drank. That was a long time. That was a quarter of my life. Hopefully I'll Well, they say 100. something like once you're pregnant, then you have, you were pregnant and gaining weight and growing a child inside of you for nine, uh, nine months, 42 weeks, whatever. You shouldn't expect your 
getting back to your pre-baby body pretty much any faster. Also because your internal organs are all squished around. So maybe you could look at it like that too. Yeah. Like, like you can't, you can't, exp- I mean, hopefully it's not taking us 25 years to. No, but it. It's, get through. It's, and you have, you know. It's taken us three years so far and we're most of the way, but we're not all of the way. And that seems like, I think, I just think about anyone who's listening, who's just in the process of trying to get sober. That might seem so daunting. But just remember the amount of time it took you to get where you are. Just think about those 25 years you were pregnant. (laughs) How how hard it's going to be to rebound from that pregnancy. elephant or whale birth. I think they have long gestation periods. Oof, that's a long time. Well, not that long, but... So if, if what we talked about today resonates with you, we encourage you to read our new book, He's Sober, Now What? A Spouse's Guide to Alcoholism Recovery. Again, you can get that on our Sober and Unashamed website or the Untoxicated Podcast website, episode 23, the one we're talking on right now. Thanks for talking to me today, Sherry. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for having me. It's always good to do this. For the Untoxicated Podcast, for Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening.